0: The game is over, but we're just getting started. You're listening to The Fifth Quarter, presented by Twitch on the Raiders Podcast Network. Well, it was not pretty, but here we are. Your Las Vegas Raiders won a football game tonight, 16-14, to 14, or this afternoon, depending on where you are. 16-14 to 14 over the Cleveland Browns. Eddie Pascal here with my guy Jason Fitz. And Fitz, is on a serious note, before we, got, we start rocking today, uh, I think just off the top, we got to just give a little bit of love and, and send our condolences to friend of the program, Will Compton. We found out about an hour before kickoff tonight uh, that he lost his mom really suddenly last night and that he obviously, for obvious reasons, would not. Be playing in this game. Went back to be with his family, doing the right thing. And, and I know that you know Will. Will's been a friend of ours for for quite some time since his first up here in Oakland. And it just shows you, man. It's uh as kind of hyped up as kind of as much as we put into these games. There's a lot more stuff that is a lot more important than this, especially so t- you know so close to the holidays. You can't help but feel uh, feel for Will. So uh, we're just thinking of him, man. And uh, man, it's tough, isn't it? It's a tough way to, to start a Monday night.
1: Yeah. Heartbreaking for a friend. Um, and you know, will somebody that's incredibly close to his, his mom, you know, and I think you mentioned the Christmas aspect of it. I think that's really tough. And I, I, I tell friends all the time, like if you've got a great relationship with your parents, you got to treasure every second of it. Like you just got to find a way to reach out and find a way to capture the most of it. My heart breaks for will the human being, especially because even over the last week and a half talked to him when he came back with the team, and seeing the joy of being a part of that team and getting that last ride off into the sunset. He was really excited about the opportunity to play one more time. And this reminds you that things are bigger. And, you know, this is a, a, a moment for Raider nation just to show a lot of love and send a lot of positive thoughts and prayers to somebody that is heartbroken in the holidays. So, you know, I think all of us, uh, our hearts go out to will and, you know, his wife and uh, and his whole family and what they're dealing with right now.
0: Yeah, and I think the one thing, I mean, very well said, but I think one thing that I think we can at least take some solaces, solace in, I mean, you look at the way uh, on Twitter that his that this team responded, right? You have so many guys sharing their message of support. Coach Passaccia opened up his press conference tonight, uh, acknowledging Will and everything he's going through. Zay Jones talked about it. I mean, this is a dude who, like I said, was here in Oakland with us for a little bit a few years back, but has been on this team for what? seven days eight days nine days and the fact that this entire roster this entire group is saying like hey he's one of our own we're hurting for him i think that says a lot about uh, about this team and let's not get it twisted this team has gone through a lot this year, every single guy on that roster. So to kind of add something like this into the mix, I think that um, when his, when we, we all kind of look back on this, I think history will show that this was a very unique group of players on this roster. This was a very special group of guys on this roster. Take the, take the results out of it. If this team doesn't win another game for the rest of 2020, 2021, I think that this is one of those teams that we're going to look back and we're going to be really, really proud that they wore the silver and black.
1: Yeah, and, and they could do documentary after documentary about what this year has been. I think we all know that the amazing thing is that certain locker rooms just hit different. And for all of the conversation, it's funny. Sometimes I feel like Raider nation on social media is more divided than this locker room is that's living through this right in this moment. There's, there's a bond and you can see it, you know, even in the body language, I know we're going to get into the game, but when you think about the game tonight, there was a key moment for me in the fourth quarter uh, you know, when the the offense turned the ball over. And I think all of us felt our hearts sink after the interception and i watched max crosby come off the sideline and sort of skip his way onto the field like he was like yep let's go and there's a level of yep let's go to this entire locker room that you can feel palpably from the outside looking in and you know they get strength from each other and we could all afford in the holidays to take a step back look at the players that we love and look at the the adversity they've been through and maybe learn a little from it
0: absolutely and as my pal roger bennett would say on to the football fits so your Las Vegas Raiders won sixteen to fourteen, and let us not pretend. I, I think that one thing that you and I really pride ourselves on is we're going to call a spade a spade, right? We're going to kind of massage it and make sure we're you know it's a digestible, palatable thing for everyone. Fitz, we cannot pretend that this was a beautiful game this evening. This was uh, an ugly game, but this was a game the Raiders needed to have. No way like no two ways about it. This was a game they had to figure out a way to win, and that's exactly what they did. Even 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 if it wasn't a lot of fun to watch for big portions of it.
1: It was a game with intention. And I think, you know, we'll talk about the lack of identity uh, at some point here, but this game, to me, from the outset, had a tone, and that tone of intention was, we're going to play conservative football, we're going to make sure that we don't give this game to the Browns, and we're going to wait for them to make a mistake. It felt like that from the outset. It was a very calculated game. the, The game plan felt like it was very... We're going to drive the ball down their throats. There were opportunities to be aggressive where coach Passaccia chose not to. And I kept looking at that saying that's because look at it at the end of it all. Look at the recipe that we followed in this game. The recipe for the Raiders was don't make the mistake. Let Cleveland make the mistake, which is a smart strategy when it's a team minus as many players as they were. I I don't fault the strategy. Unfortunately for the Raiders strategy, when you play that way, at times if you do make a mistake here or there and the guys that you're not expecting to play well do play well against you, you get into this game. It was ugly, but it's a win.
0: Yeah, and, and let's be honest, this got a little spicier at towards the end than I think any of us would like. But you look at how this t- how this game started fits. And we've talked so much this year where it really feels like you can get a great gauge of where this offense is based on that first drive. And you look at Derek Carr on this first drive, eight for eight and a touchdown, and we're all of a sudden we're thinking oh, I thought we were going to come out and run the ball 55 times today. And Derek said, oh, uh-uh, we're going to do it my way. But he came out fast. He came out, I think he used the perfect word, he came out with purpose. And while I know that that kind of petered off towards the end, and, and we did, certainly didn't have the, you know, 350-yard, four-touchdown Derek Carr performance that it looked like we might have after that first drive. I mean, he did just enough, and he did. He got this team where they needed to go for them to come out with the W. So, I mean, you look at number 4's day, and, and the numbers aren't overly impressive as I pull them up here. Uh, he goes 25 of 38 uh, a touchdown for 236 yards and an interception so certainly not blowing blowing the barn off anything but he did enough to win the football game didn't he
1: yeah and, and you know you've got to look at situational football too I mean uh, I keep looking at it this was a 10 nothing game at the half right and, and 10 ten-nothing game it felt like it was in control and, and the funny thing is I managed my commute today very wisely so that i could get to campus during my breaks right so during halftime i i scatter from one section of the campus to the other to make sure at espn that i'm in the right place i cannot miss anything and as i'm walking through the halls of espn at a half i'm getting high fives from everybody because they know they're like yeah 10 nothing feeling good and it, it's not because it was 10 nothing it's because there was so much control uh, now you can look at a couple of holding penalties a couple of negative plays and it put the raiders in a, a, a tough situation offensively on some of those drives in the first half but this was still a 10-0 game that felt like it was very much in control so if if, frankly the first half was working exactly the way i think the raiders wanted to they were limiting possessions they were controlling the clock they were being smart and cautious with the football all at once not a bad game plan the second half is where it started to get away from them a little bit because frankly the browns started to have more success on the ground against the defense so uh, again i feel like this was the tale of two halves at halftime 10-0 Felt like this game could be twenty nothing, no problem, easy win. We all put our feet up and say, "Yeah, we got it done." It didn't turn out that way, but that's still what you got to remember in context. At the end,
0: you know, we were talking talking in the building tonight, where like you said it perfectly, up ten nothing at the half. They have that missed field goal. You feel pretty doggone good headed into halftime, knowing hey, we're getting the ball back. The Browns candidly haven't been able to do much of anything offensively and hey we have a chance to go up 17 nothing really put our foot on the on the throat of this team and say hey not tonight we're in your house but you're not going to have a have a nice Monday night and it's kind of been a theme of this year Fitz and thankfully we can kind of talk about this now knowing that the team won the game knowing that the Raiders took care of business but they had that chance to go up 17 nothing And they couldn't take it. And I tweeted out like three or four times. I said, hey, a touchdown here feels like it could be be a body blow for the Browns. And none of those times the Raiders were able to punch it into the end zone. So, yes, we get to enjoy a victory Tuesday, as weird as that sounds, tomorrow. But you still come out of this game saying, hey, we left a lot of meat on the bone. and, And some of the issues that we've seen all through 2021, they weren't remedied tonight.
1: Uh, I mean, that's where aggressiveness comes in. And I think if we can look back now with the benefit of looking back on a win, uh, you can question the aggressiveness a lot. I had a couple of, of people within ESPN text me in the second half and say, why the hell is this team not blitzing more? Like you've got a quarterback that essentially hasn't played, but it comes back again to intent. I think that the game plan was Let's let Mullins make a mistake. Let's make him make the wrong read. We'll keep guys back in coverage. They didn't blitz a lot. They relied on the front four to get there. But that made it transparent and easy for Mullins to look around. And and the the front four wasn't getting there in the second half as much. That gave him more opportunity. Frankly, the other part of it is when they did get push-up field, there were a couple of times running backs snuck through. So they were very committed to not making a mistake. And then you look offensively. I thought the aggressiveness came at questionable times. Like look at a couple of the throws for Carr, where he pushed the ball down the field. And for once I'm looking at it saying, why are you pushing it down the field when the guy you needed is right there? And at one point on the broadcast, they even called it out and said, Hey, I don't understand that throw. When the first down was right there. Why are you aggressive deep ball on third and and medium range when he had the first down there to be had? So it's funny that the whole thing felt out of sorts on when they're going to be aggressive. And the one thing that you could say about the Browns win or lose is we knew who the Browns were going to be on fourth down. You knew that the Browns were going to go for it on fourth and three or fourth and five, I guess it was uh, near the end of the game, but you know, the Browns identity to know that for the Raiders, there were a couple of opportunities, fake, fake punt or not. A couple of opportunities where you're looking at it saying fourth and one, this is a, this is a punt situation for this team. So again, I think it speaks to this team's got to figure out exactly what its identity is and exactly how to be aggressive at the right times. And I think that's a bit, not just on the, the players, but also on the coaches and the strategy they come in. Aggressiveness is part of culture, and I'm not sure it exists right now when it comes to the play calling and to what they're asked situationally.
0: Yeah, and look, I think you're you're hitting on all the right things here, and I think that it's fair to question the moments of that aggression. And hey, is this the time to push the f- push the ball down the field? Is this it time to kind of uh, you know kind of lean back? But it's so funny, Fitz, because as you were talking, I, w- I was kind of taking my internal notes, and I was like, I so identify with that, but at the same time, it's like. How many times have we been like push the ball down, push the ball, push the ball downfield, and then when they do, we're like ah, not the moment to do it. Like we're a fickle bunch, aren't we? Like are we? We can mm-hmm. never be happy. We really can't.
1: No, you're a thousand percent right. And you know, so much of that comes down to also just trust and timing. Mm-hmm. And we've said this before, but I think it's worth saying again. Like, there's a reason Hunter Renfro getting 432 balls a week. That don't don't Google it. That's just the, the right stat. There's a reason he's getting so many looks, and it's because. Carr knows where he's going to be, when he's going to be and how he's going to be there. The, the miscommunications between Renfro and Carr are few and far between, but look at the number of times we've seen a ball that might be a little behind on Foster uh, or a ball that's dropped by Foster. Look at how many times we've seen the deep ball to Zay be a little bit off or the deep ball to Deshaun be a little bit off, which is reminiscent of what we saw last year when we kept asking on those deep balls, why are we not getting into rugs more? Like last year we saw rugs have to wait on some and then some were overthrown and like, They just, I I think the, the lack of sort of love that we get to the commitment of timing. Like we live in a world where this spring, every single ESPN analyst, my colleagues, are gonna sit there and tell us the same junk about how cool it is that all these guys get together in a park and how meaningful it is they do that to get their timing. But then we're sitting here saying, oh, so an offense that no longer has its number one wide receiver, that no for reasons far bigger than football, and an offense that doesn't have its number one target in Darren Waller, you've now lost essentially. To use my old man analogy, you lost your Jerry Rice and your Tim Brown on this offense. Now your Joey Porter's, your 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 Jerry Porter, sorry, wrong Porter, is your number one. Like that's that's an adjustment, and I just think this this Raiders offense is out of sync. Because you can't, with the limitations on modern NFL practices, get the timing that you have to get in a padded situation.
0: No, and you're 100% right. Especially, we, we talk so much about all of the changes, all of the different iterations of this Raiders offense that we've seen in 2021. For some reasons, like you said, reasons that are bigger than football, for injury, for kind of all of the above, right? I mean, Derek Carr has had no shortage of moments where I'm sure he looks around in the huddle and be like, Okay, you're here. Where where's Darren? Oh, Josh is in here. Okay, where's Jalen? Like it, it, he has been through a lot in terms of the personnel on the offense side of the football. But I think what the, we have a chance to now fits over the final three games. And as wild as it sounds, this team is seven and seven. There is still a lot of football ahead of them. They have everything in front of them that they need. They're going to need a little help. Let's not get that twisted. But they, they th- don't
1: actually. We don't, um, we don't need help. We don't need help. We don't need no. So according to our playoff indexes at ESPN, I've been telling everybody this all day. According to the FPI, and guys, don't ask me. I have no idea how to calculate this. According to the FPI, if the Raiders win out, it's this simple. If the Raiders win out, they have about a 96% chance of making the playoffs. If they lose any one game at any of these stages, it drops into the 30% chance. So it is very simple. According to our power index, if the Raiders simply win out, the thing to remember is that the Chargers are ahead right now in the, in the standings. There's a game remaining against the Chargers. So you've made up that difference. And right now, the Raiders sit one game behind the playoffs. So if the Raiders win out, according to our power index, winning you're in and and now that's a tall task i should remind everybody right now to just start it's not even because it's it's fun to get excited about the fact that the broncos are coming up and heck you know we all know again i never want a player to get hurt but we all know the broncos may have a different quarterback situation as a result of teddy bridgewater's head injury last week that's very severe i care more about that than anything Player safety and health matters to me i don't want to root for that you can look at it from a raider standpoint and say you're going to get the broncos likely with their backup quarterback. But then you get the Colts and the Colts are, I mean Ooh. Jonathan Taylor's. Ooh. So like let's not let's not get it twisted. But yeah, the, the it's out there. Plenty of foot you're the one that's been telling me for weeks, plenty of football left. And one of my buddies today sent me the power index and said, by the way, playoff predictor says you got about a ninety five percent chance if you guys win out. So you've been right all along, Eddie.
0: I, I had a buddy text me earlier and he said, hey, you can't start a, a four-game winning streak unless you win the first one. And I texted him back after the game. I said, first game, check. And, and so, look, I know it is fun to get ahead of ourselves. I know it is fun to look down, uh, down the path and see what could possibly be if X, Y, and Z happens. But the reality is, Fitz, to kind of get back to our original point, with three games left and now essentially playing three play-in games, for lack of a better term, like this offense has to figure out who we are, what we do well, and how do we do that now consistently for 60 minutes over the next three games. Now, I look at this thing, and I look at this offense, and I say, okay, Derek Carr, if Darren Waller is not out there, Derek Carr is your best player on offense. Let him go to work. We were kind of half joking about it, but I would love to see a, a, a version of this offense, a world in which all just says Derek, we're going no huddle, baby. Do your thing. Because he seems to get in a rhythm. He seems to get in a zone where he's just out there being the orchestra of this offense. He doesn't have to worry about getting, you know, whatever he's doing at the line of scrimmage. We're going up there. We're going. We're playing football. Now, is that sustainable over 4-8-12 quarters? I don't know. But at this point, isn't anything worth a shot?
1: I mean, to your point, the NFL Network said on the pregame show today, the Raiders ranked second to last in the nfl coming into this game in rushing attempts so they're already essentially doing that but they're not doing it with purpose so that's where i think it comes back i keep i keep harping on this identity thing but that's where to your point coming up no huddle coming up with tempo coming up and just saying hey let let Carr decide what he's going to do at the line of scrimmage i think that's absolutely the right path. I mean, because let me be snarky for a minute. And since Please do. I'm not in the, I'm not in the halls. I don't have to, I don't have to see. You'll the just have me, you'll just have me
0: deal with it. I'll just get the angry call from our PR guys. Huh?
1: I mean, <laughs> when you say, what do the Raiders do? Well, can I make the joke hold? Cause the oh, offensive oh, line seems to do that really. Come on. Put You know, but realistically, that that speaks to so much of what this is about. Like, it's about all of it working together in concert. And as much as I want to be a a snarky, funny person about it, like this offensive line, I thought did a a really reasonable job against Miles Garrett today. And I know Garrett uh, hobbled a little bit in the second half, but I thought that Garrett was going to be able to get after him. So some of the problem areas, like I thought Garrett was going to be able to get after this offense. I thought Chubb was going to be able to run for yardage those things didn't really turn out to be the case. So some of those problem areas, I think you can start to nod the cap a little bit and say, okay, uh, yes, there are going to be moments. Uh, I, I need everybody to remember more often than not, as Mike Oleg junior has taught me repeatedly for offensive linemen. Most of the time you hold because you put yourself in a bad situation, either you're outmanned or you were in bad technique and you have to hold as a result. It's just, it's better than giving up a sack. So a lot of these holds we're seeing, I think, are just learning curves for guys. So, you know, for the offensive line to hold up well against Garrett, despite some of the holding calls, I think is a sign that, hey, the offense – and they ran. we ran the ball well in the second half. I I, I felt like Peyton Barber really was a nice change in that second half.
0: Yeah, speaking of Peyton Barber, he carries the ball five times for 34 yards, just under seven yards a carry. And to your point, he had a – it was a nice, a very – uh, it just felt like he had a little spring in his step. He was a nice change of pace compared to Josh. And at the end of the day, I mean, look, the numbers aren't going to be overly, uh, you know, overly impressive. But the Raiders run the ball 25 times for 98 yards, their longest rush of the day, 19, averaging just under four yards a carry. So for this team at this juncture in the season, I mean, you'll take that. You know, it's not it's not the greatest thing. You know, it's no Jonathan Taylor with the Colts. It's certainly not. But at this point, you'll take it. And to your initial thing about, about Miles Garrett, man, where I came into this week, and I guess really into this game and when I guess this game should be on Saturday and now we're Monday, whenever it is, but I looked at it and I said, my big concern, regardless of how many guys are out with COVID for the Browns, Miles Garrett is not one of those guys that's out with COVID. And Miles Garrett is one of those few people on the defensive side of the football that can completely take over a game. He can destroy your left tackle. He can destroy your right tackle. He can go up and pluck the ball away from your quarterback. He is one of the rare dudes in the NFL who's capable of doing that. And tonight he was a non-factor, three tackles and one tackle for loss for Mr. Garrett. And so a big shout out to Tom Cable, a big shout out to that entire offensive line for when they needed to hold up, they held up. It was not perfect. I know we talked about the holding penalties, but overall, when they needed to be at their best, when they needed to neutralize one of the best edge rushers in the entire game, they did it.
1: Yeah, and and you know, I'll also give, I know everybody gets frustrated with the car conversation, but let's give Carr a little love yep. here. A lot of step up in the pocket. A lot of awareness you know that there were there were a couple of times where i was standing screaming at the tv get rid of it get rid of it because like you got you, you need that clock and it's one thing for anybody that spends a lot of sunday watching other teams on a day like yesterday where the raiders weren't playing sometimes the difference between a good quarterback and a really good quarterback is just having the pocket clock of knowing i got to get rid of the ball right now and some of what we've seen for some of the offenses that are struggling i'll use ryan Tannehill with the titans as an example Brian Tannehill has struggled without Derrick Henry, not just because he's having a hard time getting rid of the football or finding wide open guys, partially because he doesn't seem to have that pocket clock that's helping him when the offensive line's getting beat. I thought today Carr had a really good po- pocket clock, a really good sense of I got to move and move right, right now. And I'll, I'll be the first to admit there have been times that I think he has gone early. He hasn't had that. He's anticipated too much. And there's been times that we've all seen him just sit in there and take a hit he doesn't need to hit to take tonight was that perfect blend of like it was the perfect blend of cheeses on the grilled cheese sandwich it was done absolutely uh to perfection by him well I think the one thing
0: the one thing I think about about Derek going into tonight where I'm I look I'm not going to pretend to put myself in in Derek's state of mind and what he's thinking as he's at the line of scrimmage but to me it feels like especially over the past couple weeks and I guess you got to kind of take away the Chiefs game from I guess what was it two weeks ago now whatever it is but I think he has an understanding of how much time this offensive line is going to give him, right? Derek has been behind some incredible offensive line uh, throughout his career as a Raider. I think back to that 26 offensive line anchored by a friend of the program, Donald Penn. And that was a stud offensive line. From left to right, that was one of the best, if not the best, offensive line in the NFL. I think it's fair to say that this offensive line, the 2021 version of the Raiders offensive line, is not that. And that's okay. But I think Derek is at a place now through 14 games where he understands the reality of this offensive line. He understands how much time he's going to have to operate. He understands based on the look, okay, this is a good look for them. This is not the best look for them. I need to have that internal clock going. And I know he has the internal clock going at all times, whether he's behind the best offensive line in the history of the world or not. But especially now kind of knowing what this group is, what they are, what they do well, what they perhaps don't do so well, I think that he's he's really at a good place now. I think we saw it tonight, where he knows what he's got to do and just how much time he has to do it.
1: Yeah, and you know, a lot has been asked of these guys. I yeah, mean, there's been there's been a lot a learning curve for James. I think we take for granted how great Rodney Hudson was for this team, obviously, but we also take for granted the learning curve for Andre James, like, and that's real, like, and that's okay. There should be a learning curve when you're a first year starter in the league, and 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 I, I don't think that that's any hot take to say, hey, it takes a second to adjust. And we, we talked about Leatherwood a lot. But, you know, Leatherwood's somebody that started outside and I was moved inside. You know, it, you just look at what's being asked of these guys in general. That's a lot also, you know. And, and again, all I can do is talk to offensive linemen. I'm 5'9 a half and 165 pounds. Hey, you man. can round up to
0: 5'10", man. You can round up to 5'10". I'll give it to you. I-
1: I'm rounding up to five, nine and a half. <laughs> we're being honest, but like, what do I know about playing offensive line? But one thing that has been really interesting to me talking to like, even today, just talking to Jeff Saturday, you know, who played for the Colts for so many years about offensive linemen and, and you know, the amount of time the the guys that I talk to talk about just moving in sync and moving as one unit and understanding where you have help, where you don't have help and which shoulder and which leg is protected. Even like who's standing over what, All of these things make such a difference to the nuance of offensive line. And the reality of it is most of us don't really understand it or know what we're breaking down. So we don't break it down. And for this team, it's been a massive learning curve. It hasn't been easy and they've got to develop like there are young guys here that you're looking at. I keep looking at Colton Miller who has turned himself into a very reliable left tackle in the NFL. He was not that his rookie year. And it's okay to say that. So I, I think what we need to do is just pull back and realize that this is a choose-your-own-adventure work in progress on an offensive line that has been sort of forced in together, and they're still figuring it out. And I know we're late in the season, but the the way the line plays will make every difference in whether or not they're capable of handling teams like the Chargers down the road.
0: And, and give them credit, because on tonight, a game where they had to have it, where they had to do just enough to give Derek time to work, to give Josh and Peyton those times to work, They did it. And and like I said, it wasn't pretty. It hasn't been pretty for large portions of 2021. But tonight, when they absolutely needed to hold up, they held up. And Fitz, we've talked a lot about the offense. And I think it's fair that we talk about the offense because we have a lot of questions right now. But this defense, this Raiders defense, we got to give a little bit of love to. And I want to start tonight with John Abram, man. Everywhere. Jonathan Abram, a man possessed, finishes his night with a team-high nine tackles, two tackles for loss. And Fitz, look, I you know, I don't know if we can make this grand proclamation quite yet. I'm sure we have to go back and, and rewatch tomorrow's game or watch the game tomorrow, I should say. This felt like the most active, the most with purpose Jonathan Abram we have seen in quite some time.
1: Yeah, well, and you know, I've I've been tough on him. You know that. We've been tough on him on this show. And not tough on him because we don't want him to succeed. I I have to be so loud about that sometimes. Like I think tough on him is cheesy as it sounds like I loved watching him play at college. Like I I, when he was picked uh, for me covering the draft for the NFL for ESPN for the last several years I was ecstatic, right and so you have high expectations for these guys that play with that level of energy and chaos the question is how do you channel the energy and chaos but also still play to his strengths and today the amount of times we saw him up in the box I I thought was inspiring like I'm watching I'm watching somebody really be utilized for what his skill set is and Tip of the hat to Gus Bradley, who we, we've talked about a few times. We, you know, we need to buy a beer. Uh, This is a great example of that. Like this is, this is me looking at it saying, my God, if every analyst I talk to is smart and says, Hey, Abram's not the guy you want back in coverage. Right. And so that's what people say his, his, his detriment is rather than keeping him in a spot where maybe that's not to his strength. He's been utilized more and more this year in ways that show who he is. And that First blow up in the first quarter where he got to the line of scrimmage, blew through the line and blew the playoff for, I think, a nine-yard loss was indicative of the way he played the whole game. I mean, you're talking about somebody that was running up, taking great angles, and just punishing people. And you look at that and say, "Woo! take the handcuffs off and let him play like that. That's a that's a possessed level of, of passion. I love watching on the defensive side of the ball. He he played lights out tonight.
0: And, and I think the most important thing, fits playing in control, too. So it's playing with that chaos. It's playing with your hair on fire. But it's also finding a way to do it while you're, you know, in a controlled manner, not picking up any silly penalties, not putting your team in a position where all of a sudden you're like, ah, oh, yeah, I mean, we love that fire from John, but you got to reel it in. Like tonight, he was very much controlled. He was very much in under- understanding what he needed to do. And he was fantastic. He really was tonight. And we got to give a little uh, shout out to KJ, right, as well, man, who steps in, plays the most snaps. I mean, obviously, I don't have the snapcasts in front of me, but I have to imagine this is the most that he's played in a game in, gosh, at least, Months uh, and he finishes his afternoon or evening, depending on where you are, with eight tackles too. Another guy who was just you—you you put him in. He was solid. He did what he needed to do, and he was very much that veteran presence in the middle of things, getting guys where they needed to go. Uh, and a big credit to Gus Bradley, man, because he has done such an incredible. And I know the Chiefs game was tough on every single aspect of everything, but I mean, you take that game away. I mean, he has done a remarkable job with this defense, a remarkable job. And he that was the case again tonight, where you look at what this team did against the run, specifically in that first half. I mean, through at the end of the first half, I'm, I had it written down. Chubb had six carries for 14 yards. He was a non-factor, and you went into this game knowing with Nick Mullins at quarterback, they are going to run the ball. It is not going to be a secret with what they're going to try to do. And Gus's group did a; they were superb. They really were tonight.
1: Yeah, and a couple of things on this. One, you said KJ did a a, a really solid job. I would say spectacular because we were without Perryman, a pro bowler Perryman, right? Like we were without the NFL leading tackler. We were without the person that is in charge of calling every, every defensive call. We were without the person that subtly, like you go back and watch the All-22, the number of times that Perryman will just walk up and tap alignment on either hip as his way of signaling them what's coming. Like that's what Perryman has been not good, great at this year. And KJ stepped into that role and just handled it. Right. Like I I think that the, the job there and, and, you know, again, that's a credit to the front office too. I mean, we're, we're very tough on the way this team is drafted some years. I want to be very fair about the way that they've gone about free agent acquisitions this year, because KJ, is somebody that came in and has paid dividends. I mean, you're getting contribution from them. So I look at that, and I'm a little stunned that the Raiders were able to do that. And I realize some people will say, okay, well, all they did was stack the box because they knew that Nick couldn't beat them throwing the football. Last time I checked, that's exactly what the Patriots did against the Colts. They stacked the box. In fact, the Patriots stacked the box against the Colts more than any team has stacked the box against any team all year long. And Jonathan Taylor still had the best rushing day we could possibly imagine. So you got to remember that this whole concept of I'm going to throw eight in the box and make them come at me actually makes you really susceptible to long runs. If you break through the box, you're going to go through. Derek Henry's talked about that for two straight years. So I keep looking at that saying, it's not as simple as like, well, we stack the box we stopped the run. You still have to execute. And especially when you're stacked in that much, you've got to have control with your gaps. I, I thought the Raiders defense did all of those things really, really stinking well. And those, like I know it's a sloppy, ugly game, but I'm looking at those little indications saying that's probably the most frustrating thing about this Raiders team this year is that there's so many little things they do well that we should be better than we – like Like the record should be better because it feels like this team is better than the record indicates. But then you have games like Kansas City, and I admit it. it like it makes us all spiral.
0: And, and we talk about that execution, fits and this defense, they needed to come up a bit. Like the Raiders don't win this game – unless Gus Bradley's defense holds up at the end of the game, right? They get the ball back, or excuse me, the Browns get the ball back with 2.47 left in the game. One, t- one, uh, one first down, this game is over. You don't get a chance to have Carlson, you know, kick that, that game-winning field goal. And the Raiders' defense held up. We go Nick Chubb, gain of two yards. Nick Chubb, gain of five yards. Uh, and then Nick Chubb, no gain. John, big Jonathan Hankins says, no, sir, not today. And so we've asked so much of this defense in 2021 I, you know, I think it's fair to say at times we've asked too much of them in 2021, but with their season on the line, you need to get off the field. You know what the Browns are going to do. They're going to run this ball and give them credit because they got off the field. They gave the Raiders, they gave Derek Carr one more chance to go win that ball game. And thankfully they did. But man, you cannot say enough good things about this defense. And I think you do know, I've talked about this a bunch. At some point, you can't ask any more of this defense right you understand who they are you understand the limitations you understand exactly what they bring to the table and tonight was another one of those games Fitz, where in the in the middle of the fourth quarter you're thinking to yourself like man they've played an incredible football game they've been you know they've they've played the best hand that they, they possibly could but at some point you cannot ask any more of them and they had one more hand in them and they and they they uh they did an incredible job. It was it was it was great to see. And I think that if you're a fan of this team, we talk about positives going into this final third. That when they had to have it at their biggest moment, they showed up in a big way.
1: Yeah, and I think that's positives not just for this final third, but also yeah moving forward. Like there's there's a this is a young core, especially you start to lead. And we've talked about this a lot. But for the defense to do what they did without Hobbs, which I thought you know I thought going into the game Hobbs was going to be a huge uh, loss for the team as he goes on the COVID-19 list out most important health. You know, we want him to be healthy and, and great. We all know that, but I kept looking at it, thinking that man, that's a big loss because there's no easy replacement for him on the roster. Yet again, we saw, you know, good play, solid enough play from the corners and, and that position has just been decimated all year. But while this is happening, we're watching a relatively young defensive line make impactful plays. We see another strong outing at times from divine Diablo, uh, uh, who's surprising me with, uh, he surprised me with how well he was playing in the first half. I, I just didn't expect contribution from him this year. you see uh, Marion continue to grow in his role, continue to be in the right place. Like it feels like the picks are going to, to blow up for him at some point because he's always right there on the ball. That stuff will will normalize itself. So I'm looking at this defensive core saying, man, for once, no matter how this season turns out, I'm not looking around saying, Woe is me, despair everywhere. I'm looking at it saying, man, there are five or six pieces on this defensive side of the ball that are young and talented that are you know, they're building blocks for people to want to play with.
0: Yeah, the pieces are there, no doubt about it. And and you and I have talked about it a bunch, and I'm, I'm sure we'll continue to talk about it throughout the offseason. But my biggest and I will admit when I'm when I'm wrong, when I'm surprised. I am shocked. I have legitimately been shocked by how well this defense has played in 2021. I did not see this coming. Uh, candidly, I did not think that Unique was going to be as much of a difference maker as he has been this year. I did not think that from top to bottom that this defense was going to be as solid, as stout, as consistent Take away the Chiefs game, as they have been this year. And, man, to your point, there are building blocks. There is reasons to be excited. There are thi- The cupboard is not bare. The cupboard is almost full. I mean, yeah, you need a little spice here and there. You maybe need to you know swap out this. This might be a little stale. Maybe you have to swap that out. But overall, man, this defense has been incredible. And... They got their, they got Derek, and they got Daniel Carlson a chance to get, to win the game, and that is exactly what they got. Ca- go ahead, what are you pointing at? I see you guys. No, something. no, no,
1: go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, ahead, and go we
0: ahead. got the Cash Money man a chance to win the game, and he didn't. He didn't win the game once. Fitz, he won it twice, two times. This man is unbelievable right now. He cannot be stopped.
1: Yeah, you are a fan of these specialists. Uh, oh my God, that. my guys! I love that about you. I love that. Uh, I was thinking about that as I saw him. Line up for the kick. But I will say, before that kick happened, there was one play that I want everybody to make sure you take note of because we've seen this go the wrong way in recent weeks. Zay Jones gets a massive catch, and what's he do? He he takes that ball, he sets that ball down, and they get that ball spiked with, what, two seconds left? I mean, every single second. Three seconds. Every single second mattered. And we are only a few weeks away from watching, I think it was the Eagles where there was a celebration that took time off the clock. And that's like, that is the the instinct for so many players right there is to celebrate a huge catch. And instead the instinct for Zay Jones was to get up, place that ball and make sure not a damn second went off that clock. That didn't have to. I thought that was incredible football IQ that we take for granted. We look at it and say, of course that's what he did. Now we've seen it in the NFL this year where that didn't happen. I've got to give him love for that because that was that was exactly what had that. It was a great pass. It was a great route. Everything about it was great. But getting that ball centered and getting that ball killed was absolutely key to the game. That, that was the game.
0: Yeah, that was the game. And obviously, Daniel doesn't have a chance to do his thing unless Zay has the kind of foresight, has, has the sense to remain in the moment. Because, look, I'll be honest. If I have a huge catch like that, I'm dancing. I'm celebrating. I'm probably letting the clock run if I'm being honest with you, Fitz. But that's why Zay Jones is in the NFL and why I am here talking with you. But on our way out of here, three pro bowlers for your Las Vegas Raiders. Uh, The aforementioned A.J. Cole, friend of the program, Max Crosby, and Denzel Perryman, another guy that we talked about. All three incredibly deserving. And Fitz, I don't know if you had a chance to watch it yet since you've been working all night, but you will not find a better moment in a press conference than Max Crosby tonight talking about what the Pro Bowl meant to him, the journey that he has gone on specifically over the past 24 months. He got really emotional uh, at the podium. and. You look at all three of those guys, as I said, incredibly well deserving for all three of them, but I encourage everyone out there to go watch what Max had to say because uh, it'll get a little, it'll get a little dusty in the apartment. I promise you that
1: there is uh, i mean I've been a Raiders fan my entire life i'm 44 I'm an old man right I look great so i've been thank you so much <laughs> it's fresh haircut. uh now i've been a I've been a Raiders fan my entire life, and i I mean my first Raiders memories with my dad I was probably five. Sakes watching games. I don't remember many Raiders more likable, easy to root for than Max Crosby. And I think we've all seen it as fans from day one, seen something special. Like certain people have it, whatever it is, he's had it. But to see him channel it and work so hard at it and turn it into what it is today, like I can honestly tell you, it's. I, I don't remember a Raider I rooted for more in my lifetime than Max Crosby at this point, just because where you see when you see what he's gone through and you see the work he's had to put in and continues to put in, and you see the just the twinkle in his eye from the way he plays the game. Like it's everything that's amazing about football because it's the hard work, but it's also the passion, it's also the energy, it's also the talent, and man, watching him get after the, the quarterback is just. It's special, and you know I I hope that Max plays his entire career with the Raiders because it's just so easy to fall in love with the human being and the athlete. Really proud of him, and and really thankful that he's on our team.
0: This is a small dude. A, a dude who came from a middle of nowhere school, went to Eastern. Uh, Where would he go? Eastern Michigan, right? Eastern this, Michigan. Yeah. yeah. This isn't a kid from Texas. A kid who went to Alabama. Who went to Clemson. Like he's a dude who did it the hard way. He came in. He was small. He was undersized. Max said at the time, like, "Yo, bro, you got to get bigger. You got to get stronger. You got to get faster." And give Max every single ounce of credit because he did exactly that. He has gotten his life together in a huge way. And to your point, man, he is one of those guys that you find yourself rooting for. And I, I'll say this too: Max is. We first obviously met Max when he was this uh, kind of undersized rookie coming out of Eastern a few years back, and he was fantastic with us. He you know, he was a yes to everything, and, and I'm sure you've seen the story a million times play out. You know, young guy, young rookie comes in, is so happy to be there, makes friends with everyone in the building. He gets a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger, and the lights are a little brighter, and all the endorsements come in, and all of a sudden he doesn't have time for the little people anymore. And Max Crosby has been the complete opposite of that. To this day, Max is still a yes, 99 times out of 100. He is still the same dude that we met, what was it, four years ago, whatever it is. And he is one of those guys that you constantly root for, a guy that it epitomizes all the good things about being a Raider, man. And uh, mm-hmm. the fact that he's getting his nod for his, for his first Pro Bowl, along with AJ and Denzel, who had it, you know, first Pro Bowl for all three of those guys, incredibly special, just overall a fantastic night if you're a fan of the Las Vegas Raiders.
1: Uh, And you mentioned the Eastern Michigan thing. And again, like I've been lucky. I think this is, this will be my sixth year hosting the NFL draft on all of our digital platforms for ESPN. And, you know, I I put months of work into that thing and we sit down for months with different experts and we break down film from all of the senior polls. Like everybody's a part of this. It's a huge, huge event for us for months of spreadsheets. And it was funny because I remember when he got drafted, the guy, I, I didn't know any, like, I didn't know anything. Hadn't seen anything, hadn't heard anything, just knew the name and starting to talk to everybody. Everything you said was, Hey, he's got to get this. He's got to get that. Like all of the, this checklist of things. And I think we take for granted what it's like. Like, I just remember when I was 21, 22, if you'd handed me an NFL contract and then said, all right, here's your money fully guaranteed for right now. And all you got to do is accomplish these 52 things. And you know, you can stay in this league that's not easy for a lot of people to do, to keep that fire. And the crazy thing is to me to have had the success and then keep wanting more from it. Like, it's just not everybody's wired that way. And it's what's special to see. And, you know, I, I kept watching Miles Garrett sort of laughing because if you look at every single major category, whether it's hurries, quarterback, contact, all of these things, Miles Garrett and Max Crosby are in the top three on all of these lists. And I don't care what the sack numbers are that we learned this with Khalil, right? Like, Mm -hmm. the sack numbers normalize themselves. When you see the disruption, that's, man, Max is one of the best in the NFL at disrupting, and that's it's going to be special to watch, I hope, Max and Yannick for the next several years terrorize quarterbacks because this team has a real shot at having two Miles Garrett's for the next five years, and not many teams can say that.
0: Yeah, and I think to bring it even closer to home now, I think it's going to be really cool to see all three of those guys play in the Pro Bowl at Allegiant Stadium too, right? Like, let's not forget... That the game is here, and let's well. Let me be clear. I hope we don't see any of them play because this team is in Los Angeles. But if they do play, it'll be great to see it at that beautiful, uh, beautiful stadium right off the strip, man. It. Oh, uh, uh,
1: uh, we going? We going to the Pro Bowl? Me, and you? Me yeah, and you, you want to come? To yeah, Bowl?
0: come on down. Yeah. Come on down. Let's do it. You <laughs> heard it here first. Play. Eddie and Fitz going to the Pro Bowl. Why not? <laughs> we got no issue. C- we'll it's Pro, like Pro it's Bowl ten Bowl minutes more. away, bro. It's ten minutes away. We got to make it. Pro Bowl party. Exactly. Pro Bowl party. Eddie and Fitz take the Pro Bowl. I'm in. So, on that note, Freddie Pascal, my man Jason Fitz, uh, Ray on the ones and twos, Alexandra and everyone back in the control room. We thank you, thank you, thank you.
1: Fitz, the Raiders are
0: 7-7.
1: We've done it. That's the best Christmas present we could ask for. Santa delivered.
0: Santa delivered. Once again, we will see you guys next week following our, what is it, week 17, 16? Who knows? I think we're in week 16 week, whatever, uh, our division matchup against the, the Denver Broncos. It'll be a lot of fun. So in the meantime, everyone stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy the holiday with your loved ones, and we will catch you guys next week on the fifth quarter. Thank you for listening to the fifth quarter presented by Twitch.
1: Make sure to download the Raiders mobile app, and we'll see you next week.